Quick look at some of the other markets as well. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is up a quarter of a percent at the moment. Uh, gold is trading, uh, sorry, it's up a quarter of a percent at $56.50 a barrel. Gold is trading at $1,577 an ounce. In the currency markets, not a lot of movement at the moment. Uh, the US dollar's at 109.8 Japanese yen, and it's at uh, $1.30 against the British pound. And in an hour's time, looks like the Hang Seng is still going to open flat. Not a lot of movement uh, right now in the markets. That's it for Money Talk this week. Do have a great weekend. Back chat's coming up after the 8.30 news with Hugh Chiverton and Danny Gittings. Let me give you an update on the weather forecast for this weekend. Uh, it's going to be mainly cloudy with occasional showers, a few squally thunderstorms in the morning. Maximum temperature is going to be about 21 degrees. Occasional rain in the next couple of days. Weather's going to become cold appreciably on Sunday and it's going to remain cold early to midweek next week. Temperature right now is 20 degrees, 97% relative humidity. There is a thunderstorm warning in force right now. It's 8.31. Here's Pierre Tremblay with the half-hour news. The MTR has opened part of the new Sha Tin Link. The new line, known as Phase 1 of the new Tun Ma Line, will run between Taiwai, Hinkang, Diamond Hill and Kai Tak for the time being. The rail operator says this new extended section of the Maon Shan Line will make it more convenient for passengers to travel between Kowloon East and Northeast New Territories. Hubei's Health Commission has reported 116 new deaths in the province from the new coronavirus. It also reported 4,823 new cases, the majority of which were clinically diagnosed instead of being based on solely on a test result. This new broader criteria, which was welcomed by the medical profession, led to a sharp rise in case numbers yesterday, with the province reporting over 14,800 cases and 242 deaths. Officials have announced that three more people have been confirmed with the coronavirus here, bringing the total to 53. A 43-year-old man who lives in Tunmun was diagnosed with the illness on Tuesday. The two other new cases are a 67-year-old woman and her 37-year-old son, who shared a meal at a Chinese restaurant with three friends who subsequently tested positive. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has moved swiftly to establish tighter control over his government's financial and economic policies. Sajid Javid resigned as Chancellor of the Exchequer after refusing to accept a new advisory board involving staff from the Treasury and the Prime Minister's office. The BBC's Helen Catt is in Downing Street. The cabinet reshuffle, which turned out to be more dramatic than billed, is now done. Overshadowed from its very first appointment by the surprise resignation of Sajid Javid after he refused to sack his team of advisers. His replacement as Chancellor is Rishi Sunak, just seven months ago a junior minister. Many of the big cabinet posts have seen no change, but such major movement at the Treasury just weeks before the budget is likely to dominate the fallout. The U.S. government has filed fresh charges against the Chinese tech giant Huawei and its chief financial officer, Meng Wanzhou, who is fighting extradition from Canada. The new charges include plotting to break the law on corruption and racketeering and to steal trade secrets from technology companies. Huawei has consistently denied any wrongdoing. The BBC's Samira Hussein reports from New York. The U.S. Justice Department says Huawei and its subsidiaries used confidential agreements to get intellectual property from six American technology companies. Huawei then allegedly used the information for its own gain. The Department of Justice also charges Huawei with violating U.S. sanctions against Iran and North Korea. These new charges come just weeks after the U.K. and Germany have agreed to use some of Huawei's technology, a move which appeared to anger the Trump administration. Next news at nine.
Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chivert and your co-host today is Danny Gittings. Danny, good morning to you. Good morning. A few different topics today. What to make of the new head of the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office? Why are many courts in Hong Kong closed and what are the implications of that? And we also talk about how the coronavirus is spread with an expert in infectious disease. If there's anything you want to follow up on, anything you want to comment on, anything you want to say, uh, go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, or give us a call. 233-88266 is the number. We'll put you on air. 233-88266. Again, if you want to talk directly to one of our guests, that's the best way to do it. Or you can email backchat at rthk.hk and we'll do our best to read out your messages. Joining us for the first part of uh, this programme, we have now Wing Kei Po, who's Honorary Secretary of the Hong Kong Bar Association. Others will be joining us uh, after the news uh, at nine. Uh, once again, if you want to comment, backchat at rthk.hk is our email address. Okay, let's uh, go through some of the uh, emails, interesting emails that we've received uh, since the last programme. Uh, Peter T says, sorry, but I forgot to say that I value the advice that fellow Backchat followers might provide. A nice message there from <coughs> Peter T. Bowen says, Hi, Backchat. So, Steve Vines, he's a commentator on Radio 3, has been lambasting those who argue that we shouldn't drag politics into the current discussion on coronavirus. Maybe he's forgotten the difference between positive and normative statements. As a positive statement, the comment that politics has been at the core of the government's calculations is beyond dispute. But when we make normative statements about what the government ought to do or have done in the current crisis, we are not bound by those political calculations because we have our own value judgments. Obviously, those working in the media should acknowledge the said positive statement, but also not be bound by it. They should also not assume that a particular set of political calculations will necessarily continue to dominate government decisions indefinitely, because those calculations are not immutable, as experience has demonstrated so many times. Perhaps what's more worrying now is that the media sometimes take the initiative to introduce those political calculations into discussion and conduct it in such a way that we're not sure whose side they are on, the public interest of our city or the self-interest of the central government. Most Hong Kongers already know what the central government's calculations are and there is no evidence that they are base enough to want to throw in the towel just 22 years after the handover. Whatever changes in personnel have been made in the Liaison Office and the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office. That's from Bowen. Uh, Jay uh, has some uh, quotations. I'll just read maybe some of them from a piece in the Washington Post. Uh, and uh, this is uh, quoting Matthew Freeman, a virologist at the University of Maryland School of Medicine, uh, who says, quote, For those who study viruses, the large number of mild cases is reason for optimism. This looks to be a bad, heightened cold. I think that's a rational way of thinking about it. Not to diminish its importance, it's in the middle between SARS and the common cold. So say that quotes that uh, uh, American virologist. Uh, and finally, uh, Veronica <clears throat> says, Dear Backchat, I've just received an email from Oxfam asking for donations of masks and hand sanitizers for street cleaners and sanitation workers. Are these not provided by the employers? Are these mainly poor and elderly people? If not, Hong Kong and Carrie Lam should feel thoroughly ashamed of themselves. 
That's from Veronica. Thank you very much indeed. Bankchat at rthk.hk. That's our email address. We're joined, uh, as you said, by uh, Wing Hei Po, Honorary Secretary of the uh, Hong Kong Bar Association. Uh, Ms. Po, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Good morning. Okay. Uh, can you bring us up to um, speed on the situation on the court? I mean, there's so much else, of course, been going on in Hong Kong. This may have passed some people down by, but the courts have now basically been more or less closed for almost three weeks. Is that correct? Yes. Um, the courts have been closed since uh, the 29th of January and uh, until now and uh, last night the court uh, the judiciary made an announcement that uh, uh, the court closure would extend for another week uh, but it's uh, important to bear in mind that uh, despite the general closure of uh, the courts and court registries um, the uh, court process is not grinding to a complete halt and uh, there is still uh, a list um, of urgent and essential matters uh, that are being heard by the courts. Uh, for instance, in the criminal courts, uh, the bail applications, which are to do with personal liberty, um, are, are still being heard. Um, uh, these are considered urgent cases. Uh, in the civil courts, um, the, the duty judge system um, is still operating and is, uh, um, according to the information of the judiciary, um, it's been expanded. Um, so um, it's not grinding to a complete halt, uh, but generally uh, court cases are being put off. So not grinding to a complete halt, but would it be, it be fair to, I mean, those, those emergency procedures similar to the sort of things you have at weekends and so on. Could, could we say 95, 98% of court business has been postponed? I mean, we can't put exact figure on it, but something in that order of magnitude. It's only a tiny minority of court business that's continuing, right? I wouldn't be able to give a percentage. I mean, perhaps the judiciary would be in a, a better position to give you that sort of uh, uh, quantitative uh, um, information. Uh, but... Uh, um, uh it, it is true that uh, the, um, uh, a large number of cases uh, have been put off, uh, um, apart from those which I mentioned, um, the um, categories of urgent and essential matters. This is an extraordinary situation. I mean, the bar must be very concerned about this. When have we ever had the courts closed for a month in Hong Kong? I mean, they, they didn't close during SARS. And um, I, if we look around, I mean, I know people are on reduced working hours. Banks don't open every day. But the fact is, banks, the stock market, they, they, they're all continuing. So why should the courts be different? Well, I think the legal profession and the judiciary um, are not immune from the current uh, situation, the public health uh, um, uh, emergency, uh, where there is a serious threat to public health and um, combating the spread of the novel coronavirus and preventing a community outbreak must be the priority of uh, all sectors of the community. Well, there is, um, there, there, there is quite a good body of medical opinion urging people to avoid social contact or minimize congregations. And I think the, the court closure uh, must be seen uh, in that light. It is not ideal, obviously, um, but it seems to be necessary and uh, the Bar Association supports these measures. Do you support uh, a complete, uh, well I, I suppose you're saying it's not complete because judges are, are hearing certain matters but um, certainly uh, normal business has basically been suspended hasn't it? Um, do, you, do you support that? Don't you, don't you think consideration could be given to sort of um, courts opening a couple of days a week and things like that? I mean again and looking at what's happening in, in the banking sector for instance and in, in the stock market. I mean the fact that other important areas of life and arguably you'd say the courts are more important than some of those they are 
continuing, at least on redu- reduced hours. Well, as far as the legal profession is concerned, um, the cases um, are being put off, but um, lawyers are still working um, um, in, in their offices, chambers, um, and, and I suppose the judges would be, be working behind closed doors as well. And of course, um, the process may be adjusted. Uh, in fact, the Bar Association has put forward some proposals to the judiciary uh, as to how the um, uh, cases which have been uh, adjourned uh, could be dealt with in the meantime. For instance, uh, we suggested that um, certain perhaps less contentious matters in the civil courts um, could be dealt with on paper. Uh, unless the parties wish to have a hearing uh, in due course. And of course, we know that... When you say on paper, you mean you just you circulate a document or something and everyone comments? Yes. I mean, in the, uh, at present, there are certain um, uh, matters uh, which, according to court rules, are dealt with on paper anyway. Um, for instance, um, uh, applications f- uh, of a party um, for leave to appeal um, in certain cases uh, are dealt with uh, on paper by um, the Court of Appeal. And uh, likewise, in certain decisions where costs of proceedings are dealt with, um, uh, some of those uh, proce- uh, um, applications are dealt with on paper as well. So it may be that uh, um, uh, there are matters which can be uh, dealt with on paper, but this has to be further discussed with the judiciary. But, I mean, uh, I've never been in a court. Well, anyway. <laughs> but um, they're, they're not particularly... I mean, you're not going to get hundreds of people together. Uh, it's not like they're racing in Happy Valley, is it? It depends. Um, can't you have a session where, I mean, you know, typically you'd have, what, ten people perhaps in a room or something? Is that so dangerous if they're wearing masks? Uh, uh, the... Um Courts operate on an open basis, and uh, um, we. Yeah, but most of them know. don't have. I mean, there are some cases packed, which are quite you know, con- gallery, controversial, yeah. and uh, and and there are like. Okay, uh, so you uh, close the public gallery. Public gallery. You, you you can't really close the public gallery as such because. Well, that uh, would seem to make more sense uh, than to stop uh, than to stop the stop the judicial process altogether, stopping its tracks, in, but frankly, indefinitely. It's uh, really a question of striking a balance and um, uh, a balance between um, uh, proceeding with court business, um, public health, um, uh, principles of open justice um, uh, and and these sort of matters. Um, So so we are um, requesting to... um, speak to the judiciary and the judiciary has indicated that it will engage with uh, stakeholders including the legal profession Uh, so hopefully we can come up with some sort of uh, measures to alleviate the uh, current problems how about how about allowing judiciary staff to use emails to uh, correspond with parties we've been hearing that um, judiciary staff are are not allowed to um, they have email addresses but they're not allowed to correspond with parties to litigation by email and the judiciary always just sends faxes to to everyone and of course in the current climate if um, office staff are not in there to man fax machines then the, the, that, that's useless um, in my personal experience uh, there is email correspondence with uh, judiciary staff um, even in, in normal days uh, so how that um, sort of 
form of communication can be uh, adjusted and made more widely available during this period. Um, it's something that can be explored. Um, we have uh, suggested that the judiciary provide um, a number of email addresses for the lodging of documents, but the filing of court documents for court proceedings um, is, is, is not within this category because uh, at the moment we don't have an electronic filing uh, system. In fact, the um, legislative bill uh, to put that in place uh, was just gazetted, uh, gazetted in December last year and is in the pipeline, but it doesn't really help the current situation. Yes, I understand you need a legal basis for, the, for this, but it, it does seem extraordinary in this day and age that, um, uh, that uh, when a party to litigation will be corresponding by email, won't they? But uh, that uh, then they have to send faxes to the judiciary, which um, may not go anywhere in the present circumstance. I'm actually not quite sure that that's the position. As I said, I have had personal experience in uh, in dealing with cases where there is uh, email correspondence with the clerks to judges. Um, so how that actually operates at the moment, um, um, I, I don't know. I can't tell. And uh, maybe we could get more information from the judiciary in due course. Uh, you know, it seems that, you know, civil servants, they're, they're working from home period. Is, that's been extended. The schools, the holidays has been extended. Would you expect... The, um, the court uh, suspension to also uh, be extended? The courts uh, have last night um, extended the period for another week. Uh, I suppose it would... Uh, that's, I mean, that's also, it's very short notice, isn't it? It's very Well, that's it's already week, better, week, isn't it? I yeah. mean, it's already better. They've been announcing, haven't they been announcing these extensions on sort of Saturday, Saturday or Sunday before? At least they announced it on Thursday night this time. Yes, in, in, indeed. In fact, uh, this is uh, one of uh, the concerns that we have raised as well, that uh, uh, parties uh, to litigation as well as legal representatives uh, would need more... Um, advance notice uh, for court closure so that uh, efforts in preparation for cases uh, would not go wasted uh, for the time being. And um, the uh, uh, response uh, that we have got from the judiciary was that uh, they have to look at a whole range of matters, uh, including um, um, when the government uh, announced uh, uh, government closure as well. Um, so for this particular extension, uh, we did have a bit of earlier notice. But of course, from our perspective, uh, the more notice, the more advance notice, the better. You see, other government departments have just sort of reduced their scale or, you know, reduced their frequency or something. But you know, the courts have pretty much ground to a halt. Um, in the meantime, uh, I suppose a certain um, judicial business uh, can be proceeded with. For instance, there are cases which, are, uh, which have concluded in court and are pending judgments. And I'm, I'm sure that uh, uh, the relevant uh, judicial officers would be working on those. So I, I, I can't really say that, uh, um, I mean, they don't say work from home, but uh, the expectation uh, is that uh, um, judicial officers would still be um, the, the working um, behind closed doors. I mean, one important point that uh, listeners may not be aware of is, of course, when the court closure, it, it's not that these cases have been put off for a few weeks so when the court closure ends and the courts resume they're not going to go straight onto these cases will, will they these cases are going to be um, adjourned till i think they could depending on the court schedule could be sort of six eight months later it, i mean it's uh, quite likely actually and they're people um, whose f f fate i mean one famous
Lunacy example is Benny Ty, right? His appeal's coming up is either next week or, or the, the, I think it's next week. I mean, and then people like that, and there'll be so many other uh, criminal defendants in, uh, or people on appeal in the, in the same situation, their, their lives just have to be put on hold for another six or eight months. Yes, it, it is... Uh a concern. And uh, as you say, in the criminal cases, there are defendants uh, who are waiting, awaiting trial and they're being remanded in custody. Um, so, so these are cases which we believe uh, should be heard sooner than others. And, and you're quite right that uh, the court diary is so busy and the legal representative's diary have to be accommodated. And it's quite likely that the large number of cases which have been adjourned uh, will be refixed for months and months from now. Now. And, and that is why we are suggesting that um, certain matters um, which can be dealt with on paper be, be dealt with that way uh, so as to um, reduce the caseload uh, once the courts uh, uh, resume. And in fact, in, within the profession, we also urge um, our members and legal representatives to try and and reach agreement on, on matters um, also to... Um, uh, reduce the number of cases uh, that have to be refixed and heard uh, once the courts reopen. Well, uh, Wing Kepo, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us this morning. Uh, it's Honorary Secretary of the Hong Kong uh, Bar you. Association. Uh, very grateful to that. Uh, just uh, an announcement from the Transport Department. Because of a traffic accident, uh, lanes 3 and 4 of Tolo Highway towards Kowloon near the Science Park closed to traffic. Uh, the traffic queue on Tolo Highway bound ends at uh, Wang Tao Tong uh, Estate, so congestion there. On the Tolo Highway towards Kowloon near the uh, Science Park with two lanes closed. Um, the time now is nine minutes to nine. We're joined now by uh, Joseph Cheng, a former professor of politics at City University, political commentator. Uh, uh, Mr Cheng, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for, for joining us. We wanted to get you on the line to hear your your thoughts on uh, the uh, the big news, I guess, uh, yesterday, which was the uh, decision to uh, make Sha uh, Bao Long uh, who's uh, a, a trusted ally, uh, described as a trusted ally of uh, Xi Jinping, uh, to put him in charge of the Hong Kong and Macau uh, Affairs Office. Um, first of all, what, what do you make... Um, let's talk about what this means for the, uh, for the office itself. Is it, is it a kind of boost the office, and what does it mean for the liaison office? Um, before we talk about him as a person, what does it mean in, in those kind of structural terms? In structural terms, it certainly means that the office is now headed by a more senior official. Uh, Sa Bao Long uh, has now been promoted and, and has been serving as the first vice chairman of the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference, as well as his secretary general. So it is not a second nine post, and uh, it is generally regarded as a uh, as uh, enjoying a deputy premier rank uh, kind of status. Uh, it seems that uh, the uh, status of the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office has been raised so as to uh, uh, ascertain, so as to, uh, so as to demonstrate that it has a slightly senior position than the Hong Kong, than the centralized office in Hong Kong, uh, which is now headed by uh, Lok Wei Ning, uh, who has been, who had served as party secretary in two provinces before coming here. 
and uh, one has to be reminded that the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office in the State Council also serves as the office of the uh, of the party's central Hong Kong and Macau work co- uh, uh, coordinating group. So it has that function, and a more senior official uh, in charge of the office uh, probably means that it facilitates coordination because of uh, the establishment of a better hierarchical order. So um, we all know in China the Communist Party runs everything. We've got two party secretaries now, haven't we, um, uh, to run things in Hong Kong. We've got one here in the liaison office who's um, now perhaps or is inferior, right, because uh, the Hong Kong Macau Affairs Office uh, upgraded takes priority. And we've now got another party secretary in the Hong Kong Macau Affairs Office in Beijing as well. Well, yes. They, they have been asked to join the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office as uh, deputy head of the office of Hong Kong, both the head of the Hong Kong Centralized Office and the head of the Macau Centralized Office. So it probably means uh, better coordination uh, uh, since they are all they all have positions within the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office, and uh, and as we were saying, uh, it also serves as the uh, office of the uh, party central coordinating group, and and this uh, this cent- uh, Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office and the coordinating group uh, is also served by a senior official uh, having uh, deputy premier rank. Uh, it is significant that these people, um, these new appointees, uh, Long Weining as well as Sabalong, they have no previous, experience, previous experiences in Hong Kong and Macau uh, affairs work. And uh, apparently the leadership would like someone from outside to, uh, to reform the system or to introduce new perspectives into the system as well as probably engaging in a purge uh, to get rid, to punish, to sanction officials mm. which have been corrupt, which have not been uh, performing well in the previous years, uh, leading to the uh, difficult situation, to the political crisis in Hong Kong. I was wondering about that because um, we, um, it's now been uh, quite several weeks before Luo Huining, the uh, new liaison office director, was uh, sent into Hong Kong and uh, he has a reputation for, for purging corrupt officials. But we, we haven't had any stories coming, and you would have thought you would, we haven't had any stories coming out of Taiwan, have we, about a purge of his subordinates there yet? Is he just, is he just taking his time or is it not going to happen maybe? been adopting a fairly low profile, uh, uh, as we all can see, and I really do not have the answer to your question. Uh, apparently, there is no intention to have an obvious and very open shake-up of the system. It is clear that uh, when Wang Jimin, the head of the centralized office, was replaced, uh, he was still given the position of uh, uh, he was still given a position which retains a ministerial rank, which says that he has not been demoted in terms of ranking. 
And the same also applies to Jiang Xiaoming, the, uh, the former head of the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office. Again, it is clearly indicated that he retains his ministerial rank, uh, that he still serves as the party secretary uh, of the party of the party group within the within the uh, Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office. So care has been taken so as not to not to um, allow the external world the impression that the officials concerned have been demoted. Uh, um, care has has been taken to ensure that uh, their status, their rank, uh, have been maintained. Um, we've had people on the program who say that uh, fully knowledgeable people who say that basically this the 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 uh, disturbances, the riots, whatever you want to call them, um, uh, were uh, not necessarily instigated, but were certainly fueled and funded in material terms by uh, different factions within within the mainland. There were you know so there were different people who were fighting each other and and wanted to cause. You know, uh, chaos in, 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 in Hong Kong for their own political ends. Do you, do you think that's credible? Do you agree with that? We do not have evidence of uh, in support of these accusations, although we cannot rule out that they may well be true. But uh, I think most people accept the fact that the uh, Hong Kong and Macau affairs policy system, the, the system... Uh, of the Chinese hierarchy have, have, has spent tremendous efforts to infiltrate all types of pro-democracy and pro-independence organizations in Hong Kong. So the infiltration is, is believed by almost everybody in Hong Kong. And since there, there are infiltrators, it may well be possible that these infiltrators may, may engage in various activities as described by some of your uh, contributors. You mean to, to, to undermine the pro-democracy camp, not to, not to favour one faction or the other internally in China? Well, the infiltration efforts obviously uh, is, is intended first to um, secure information. Uh, to to have a firm grasp of the uh, activities of the pro-democracy movement and various opposition groups, but uh, uh, I, I, I tell you what, Mr. Chang, uh, that's it's very interesting. But I'm going to just put you on hold because we just got to pause for the news at nine o'clock. I hope you can stick with us, and and we'll get back to that as I say after the news at nine. Uh, before it, briefly, uh, mainly cloudy with occasional showers today and a few swirly thunderstorms. And the thunderstorm warning at the moment: twenty degrees, humidity, ninety-seven percent. Back in three minutes. Time. The fallout. You're listening to the news on RTHK. That's so quickly. It always catches me by surprise when it's when it's PS. Slow down, PS. Slow down. Okay, welcome back. This is uh, back chat on a Friday morning. The uh, second part with Danny Gittings and uh, me, Hugh Chiverton. Uh, we're talking uh, principally with uh, Joseph Cheng, former professor of politics at City University, about the uh, the shakeup in uh, Beijing's representation uh, within Hong Kong with the appointment of Xia uh, Bao Long to head the uh, Macau Affairs, Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office. Um, if you've got any questions or thoughts uh, on that. Uh, 
uh, or on any aspect of uh, public events in Hong Kong, uh, please share them uh, by emailing backchat at rthk.hk or better yet, by giving us a call. And our telephone number is 233 uh, Joseph Cheng is just on pause at the moment and we'll get back to him in, in, in a moment. We're also going to be joined later uh, by a specialist in infectious diseases, Dr Jung. Uh, if you've got any question uh, that uh, you think is best addressed by uh, a specialist in infectious diseases, perhaps in, on how the coronavirus uh, is spread and what we're learning about uh, the methods of infection, uh, then uh, once again, uh, give us a call, 233 uh, Some of the uh, emails on, on uh, different topics, uh, Andy says, uh, with regard to the post office, this is after we had a caller yesterday uh, raising problems about uh, the post office, which uh, Charles Mock said he'd, he'd try and look into. But uh, anecdotally, I have to say as well, asking around the office and, and so on, a lot of people say that they have parcels are being held yeah, up or I can, disappearing. I can certainly, and, and I, I have the, I mean, I ordered, um, obviously, face masks, but, um, and one delivery by DHL, they arrived, no problem. Another by the Hong Kong Post, and exactly the same experience as the caller yesterday. Um, uh, the tracking shows that uh, they have left the country they ordered from and arrived in Hong Kong, but there's no trace of them in the local system. Right. DHL, by contrast, operating normally and delivering in no time. Mm. Did you, were, were they, uh, I, I can hear Joe Cheng chuckling in the <laughs> yeah, background so he, Joe, well. he's probably got some orders, <laughs> you've got some orders waiting as well. I mean, you, you hear these stories from so many other people as well. Has it happened to you, Joseph Cheng? Uh, my son has been doing the ordering, so I'm <laughs> yeah. counting on him. <laughs> but, but there has certainly been delays. Well, my advice to anyone who's ordering is, is use, a, use, a, use another delivery service, not Hong Kong Post. I mean, there are plenty of other delivery services these days. I haven't tried a SF Express, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're operating as well. But uh, it, we, we should give the post office the credit, of the, uh, the benefit of the doubt. They probably just are overwhelmed by the volume of packages. But... Um, uh, okay, and well, this is Andy has an email saying, following on from the caller yesterday, can I ask if the post office is still working? I posted a letter to an address in Hong Kong. This is a letter to an address in Hong Kong. Two days before Chinese New Year, it has not been received yet. It was only a claim under an insurance policy. I recently received airmail letters from UK and Singapore, both of which took about three weeks to reach me. I sent a letter to my bank in the UK this week by Speed Post, which cost $225. It wasn't urgent, but I have to know that it will be delivered within the foreseeable future. Those are good questions, Andy. Well, if you look on the on the uh, post office uh, website, that's uh, hongkongpost.hk, there are special arrangements for postal services from February the 12th to the 16th, which include sort of uh, re reduced services, mail collection from post boxes on alternate days. Um, but nothing kind of major and no particular mention. Hugh, it has been reported they are now actually taking extra steps to try and... They were delivering mail on alternate days. They're now going to start delivering mail every day um, and they're even going to start evening deliveries. So there does seem to be a recognition. Of, I, I had 12 pieces of mail arriving yesterday, so clearly they're, they're trying to clear... Uh, some of the backlog, but again, I mean, they must. The quantity of um, packages coming into Hong Kong must have exploded, probably five or tenfold over normal. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right, there's no doubt about that. There's been okay. some reports about that, and, and just common sense would tell you everybody ordering face masks and other things on the internet. So the quantity must be massive. Yeah. I mean, I did. I did hear claims that uh, uh, the, the holdup was at the airport, uh, and that it was the customs people who were. That's uh, quite possible the, the, as well. That, but uh, uh, but whether it could be the volume as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's another question. Okay, Joseph Cheng, uh, just before uh, nine, we were, we were talking to you about uh, we were talking to you about um, uh, 
Beijing-Hong Kong uh, relations. And um, you were saying that uh, Beijing has made uh, efforts to uh, to infiltrate and get information about about uh, democracy organisations. I mean, you've you've been at the forefront personally, haven't you, of, of uh, organising some of those some of those groups? So um, you, you speak from experience when you talk about that kind of infiltration. Yes. So I think this is the general belief of all participants in the uh, uh, pro-democracy groups. And I also had the experience of a research assistant stealing my emails and and, uh, accusing me of collusion with uh, uh, U.S. and British consulate officials and and so on. Uh, This is actually the general belief. uh, uh, And I think no one will, will say that this is not true. But at the same time, uh, there are accusations that uh, some of the infiltrators uh, uh, might have been involved in uh, violent and radical activities to discredit the groups, the, the pro-democracy movement concerned. Uh, but of course, we have to admit that we do not yet have firm evidence again in support of these accusations. Mind you, there are a lot of accusations of Hong Kong police officers uh, pretending to be uh, protesters and engaging in violent activities as well. And in in some cases, um, there are photos and various types of evidence uh, offered. Uh, So again, uh, this is, uh, there is uh, a lot of uh, uh, people believing in these uh, uh, these activities. Now let's move back again to uh, the, the immediate topic at hand, which is um, the reshuffle of uh, Chinese personnel uh, handling Hong Kong affairs. As we've been saying, the uh, director of the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office is, um, loses that post. Uh, he preserves face because he still keeps the same rank. But you have someone new brought in as director of the Hong Kong and Macau Affairs Office. That's just a few weeks after... Um, you had someone new brought in as head of the uh, liaison office. Again, the previous um, head of the liaison office given face. He's given another post. So that's two out of China's uh, three uh, officials handling Hong Kong affairs have now been replaced. The uh, third one is Carrie Lam. And so, of course, we must speculate about whether she is next. Well, what are your thoughts um, on that, Joe jo- jo- Cheng? She is obviously under a lot of pressure. Um she did not handle the previous political crisis well, and uh, it is also obvious that she has squandered the opportunity provided by the epidemic crisis. Uh, she could have uh, uh, used the crisis to regain the trust and the respect of Hong Kong people uh, if her performance is just as good as her counterpart in Macau, she would have done much, much better. But today, obviously, there are there is a lot of anger against her handling of the epidemic crisis, ranging from the refusal to uh, block mainland Chinese visitors to Hong Kong to the lack of supply of, of face masks and so on. So uh, it is very clear that uh, citizens lining up to buy face masks are all blaming or condemning uh, the chief executive and her administration. And at the same time, it seems that the civil service is very unhappy with her handling of the crisis. 
and uh, so you see... You well, sorry, why, why do you say the civil service is very unhappy with our handling of the crisis? What signs are we seeing there? Well, it's basically from TSA, uh, you talk to civil service friends, and I, I'm sure a lot of Hong Kong people uh, have friends working in the civil service, and certainly uh, the same messages are almost unanimous that uh, our civil servant friends are unhappy, uh, they are dissatisfied, and um, they seem to uh, lack initiative to support the administration and they are blaming the administration for various types of mistakes and the uh, and the very bad image and very low popularity of the administration uh, have certainly been affecting the morale of ordinary civil servants. Would it be easier for Beijing to dismiss her for mishandling the coronavirus um, outbreak? And it, almost after all, they're dismissing officials in other parts of China. Yes, yes. Um, and it almost used that as an excuse because politically it's difficult for them to dismiss her for mishandling the protest movement. That would be seen as a, um, a victory for the protesters. But you say, well, nothing to do with the protest movement. It's, it's about the virus outbreak. She mishandled that. So just like officials in other parts of China, she loses her job. Yes. Uh so um, there are two types of accusations against her, mishandling the uh, political crisis, mishandling the uh, academic crisis. And, and now the uh, Chinese leadership actually uh, has been dismissing uh, uh, the officials in uh, Wuhan city and in Hubei province, province. and certainly they, uh, in contrast to the Hong Kong and Macau uh, affairs officials, they have not been allowed to retain their rank and, 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 and so on. But uh, on the other hand, uh, removing the chief executive will involve another election. And uh, normally, this will require a lot of consultation, uh, at least consultation within the business community and the pro-Beijing United Front in the territory. Uh, this is a this is an exercise which is a bit time-consuming and, uh, and can be very unsettling once uh, the consultation starts and is being reported by the Hong Kong media. Uh, at the moment, we do not uh, hear any move uh, along this line yet. And you still have the same problem, which perhaps has um, restrained Beijing from removing her all along, about who do you put in her place? That problem hasn't been solved, has it? Exactly. That is, uh, who can possibly replace her and be assured of uh, doing uh, a better job and the unsettling effects of initiating the process of removing her and, uh, and starting uh, uh, an election. Uh, one has to say that uh, if she is removed of or if she um, uh, offers to resign, then obviously the chief secretary for administration will take over, and his reputation is not exactly very reassuring. I mean, uh, people within the civil service and people in Hong Kong in general do not believe that our chief secretary is a very, is a very efficient person. Okay, <laughs> very efficient person. All right. And the, the million dollar question is, you know, what, what, what difference do you think this will make having Xia Bao Long? What does this mean for Hong Kong? Well, there are, uh, Xia Bao Long has a rather unsettling image 
in the sense that while he was uh, party secretary and provincial head of uh, Zhejiang, uh, he was responsible for uh, removing crosses from many underground churches and even above-ground churches. And, uh, and uh, these actions created an international uproar. So there is uh, uh, a lot of observation that, she, that he happens to be someone very loyal to uh, Xi Jinping and uh, someone, someone who has who has who had displayed an over eagerness in the implementation of the radical policies of Xi Jinping, uh, and this over eagerness may might have been uh, counterproductive. Uh, it is one thing to uh, quietly tighten control over church activities and religious activities, but. Uh, to be destroying churches, removing crosses, and with photos being displayed in international media certainly uh, had been very damaging. Uh, a lot of people uh, uh, in the international community who knew very little about China certainly felt very unhappy uh, with these actions, and uh, these actions certainly uh, had been responsible for the uh, decline in the image of the Chinese authorities abroad in the recent years. So there is a concern immediately in Hong Kong uh, uh, whether Sa Baolong's appointment uh, will represent a harsh line against the opposition, uh, against general civil society activities in Hong Kong. Okay, well, Joseph Cheng, thanks for joining us. Uh, former Professor of Politics at City University, a political commentator. Thanks very much indeed. Joining us now on uh, Back Chat with the time at uh, 17 and a half minutes past nine is uh, Dr. Chung Kei Yan, a specialist in infectious disease. Dr. Chung, good morning to you. Good morning, host. Uh, good morning. Uh, now, if you've got any questions or, or comments, anything you'd like to raise uh, with an expert, now, now is your chance. You can call us. Two three three eight eight two six six or or email backchat at rthk hk. Now, Dr. Jung, the we we have to say the uh, the infection rate or the spread of cases in the local community, at least confirmed, is still fairly slow, isn't it? I mean, we are getting just one or two cases. I mean, that's very good news, of course. But um, we've been we've been expecting, fearing now for several weeks a mass community outbreak with really uh, numbers increasing much, much faster. What is your theory about why the number of cases, thank God, is still um, increasing at a fairly slow rate? Well, um, as we all know that our border has not yet um, fully shut down. Uh, right now, we still have Shenzhen Bay, Hong Kong, Zhuhai, Macau Bridge border. Um, still remain open. So um, that's why we are still receiving some travelers uh, coming from mainland China. This is point number one. Point number two, um, as we all know that we have some sporadic uh, cases happening uh, right now in the community. As we all know that the disease or the infection uh, at the very beginning, uh, the, the symptoms are very mild. So, or even not able to notice or, or be aware. So, um, as such, uh, people somehow getting, I mean, get somehow getting this kind of infections may 
spreading around in the community and result in to have uh, continue um, some sporadic cases happening in the community. And of course, uh, those confirmed cases, um, Center for Health Protections will keep on uh, doing the usual contact tracing. But the time in identifying the next uh, generations of suspected cases uh, may somehow takes time. So I do see um, there will be having some sporadic new cases coming around uh, in the community but, in the coming few weeks. But, but do you think maybe we're, we're actually doing quite well? We're, we're coping with this quite well. Certainly if you look at, you know, uh, mortality, you look at, you know, one death in Hong Kong and, you know, in SARS we had 300. So it's nothing like that. I do agree with your <clears throat> with your comment, uh, saying that um, we are doing quite well. At least my our our healthcare system, um, um, we did not uh, notice to have uh, any cases happening or happen uh, among healthcare workers. Mm. So this is very important, uh, as contrast to um, the incidents happened in two thousand and three. So um, the case number is much much. Uh, smaller than uh, those uh, in 2003. So I do think that uh, we are doing a good job at in, present. In SARS, we all remember the super spreaders who uh, the yeah, spread the chaos. And so far, thank God, we haven't had that in Hong Kong at this time. And there are different stories about whether or not you can have super spreaders for this virus. But there do seem to be some cases in other countries. For instance, that British man who went to Singapore and then travelled around the world infecting other people. There do seem to be some cases suggest that, that that's possible. What are your thoughts? Well, of course, uh, Hong Kong people, uh, we all come through, came through the uh, SARS in 2003. Every one of us now in Hong Kong are very um, vigilant um, in our personal hygiene. So I think this is something that um, accounts for the difference. And uh, we are looking into several perspectives. If you look back uh, to uh, 2003, those super spreaders um, or happen, uh, incidents um, were somehow happened in the hospital settings, in the hotel, as well as in um, in Amoy Garden. Mm. So as long as we somehow look closely um, in the above places that I mentioned um, and be very vigilant to prevent um, some mass um, outbreaks uh, in those areas. I think uh, we are able to overcome this, uh, this uh, 2019 coronavirus outbreak. So you are cautiously optimistic if we keep doing things the same way we are now and maybe if we are a little bit lucky, we could get, Hong Kong could get through this without mass, when we say mass infections, we're talking about hundreds or even thousands of infections. We, we could avoid that. Well, I still remain uh, optimistic and positive in our society to control these epidemics. But uh, it, 
but if our government can somehow timely uh, address some of the issues, like um, to ensure the supply of the mass uh, to the public, um, another thing is whether we can timely um, address the issues that raise out in the public, uh, whether the people being quarantined are really under very close, closely monitoring um, or supervisions. So all these kind of measures has to be implemented uh, very strictly, and the government has to be very decisive um, in uh, cut down further on the city borders. Um, because, uh, as we all know, that uh, if we don't further cut down uh, our city borders in terms of um, the limitate uh, the, the people coming from mainland China, um, we are still facing a threat of having some incoming new cases. Uh, as far as you know uh, from the news today, um, up to now we have uh, more than 65,000 uh, cases in mainland China, and each day we have new cases at around 4,000. So you can see the epidemics of the coronavirus uh, still not yet uh, get peaked yet. Mm. What about this, the question of the method of transmission? Um, we had the course of the, the case, the cluster in Hong Kong connected to that hot pot meal. Um, there's also people were sort of linking that uh, with uh, the uh, uh, cruise ships uh, as well, which seem to be, be a centre for, for transmission, and people wondering whether buffet meals, and also this is also there were some cases at a conference as well, which seemed to you know be a, a kind of centre in Singapore uh, and so on, where they might have again eaten, eaten at a buffet meal. Could, could buffet food and uh, eating communally, like in a hot pot, could that be a dangerous situation? Could that be a means of transmission? I think the hot pot meal or the buffet food itself won't um, lead people uh, to suffer from coronavirus infection. But uh, we have to understand that uh, this kind of infection may transmit through droplets and contact uh, way of routes. So whenever having people clustering, uh, sitting around closely, um, there's a chance of trans possible transmitting um, the infections among uh, uh, people having uh, hot pot meal and buffet. Okay. So, yeah. Sorry, no, go ahead. So that's why uh, Professor Yun keep on uh, advising people not to grouping around, uh, joining around, or having social functions uh, for the meantime, in, at least for the coming 14 days, to see whether our community cases can somehow be died down. In, in the hot pot, is there anything in the, uh, the steam or anything like that which might encourage transmission? I think there's different, different views I think on the, that. The, the steam uh, from the hot pot won't cause the transmission on... Uh, the infections, but as we all know that the hot pot somehow has some heat coming through, so it will somehow induce uh, what we call a convection phenomenon, 
to um, increase the airflow um, in that particular uh, area or uh, in the air. So it may somehow fasten up or speed up the uh, particles or the droplets to uh, follow the heat wave uh, circulating around in that particular uh, area. So uh, the steam itself won't cause the uh, problem, but the, the heat, the heat steam, I mean the heat convention uh, phenomenon may result into ha- uh, such uh, let, let's turn to the issue everybody cares about in Hong Kong now, face masks. Um, now, there are many people who don't have face masks anymore, which is because yeah. they run out, and people can't stay at home forever. And then they probably won't get face masks in the short term. As a doctor, what is your advice to people who just don't have face masks at the moment? What is, well, obviously you, you stay home where possible, but when you don't have face masks, you have to go out. What is your advice? I think um, better to wear some masks um, other than surgical masks. Um, some masks may be somehow uh, made up of or made by uh, clothes or cotton wool. So at least you have some masks uh, to cover up yourself whenever you go out. So uh, can I just repeat that? So you don't. So you're saying any, <coughs> I think you're saying any mask is better than no mask, right? Yeah, even if it's not a sur- even it's not a surgical mask, yeah, it's right, better than right, nothing. Right, right. So you could just put a, a scarf across your face or something like that, and that would be better than nothing. Yeah, maybe a few um, masks, um, which is not... Uh, at least uh, you have some masks cover up to protect yourself. Hmm. Okay. Uh, some uh, comments, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll get on the comments. Um, Anything else? Yeah, sorry, go no, on. No, it's okay. You can go on Okay, right. Okay. Well, uh, uh, Dr. Chung, thank you very much indeed for, for joining us and helping us out and answering some of our questions. Uh, Dr. Chung K. Yan there, who's a specialist uh, in uh, infectious disease. Um, that's just about it for the programme today. Now, we've got some uh, emails relating to the discussion with uh, Joseph Cheng. Um, let's see. Uh, this is from... Uh, Martin, who says, uh, Joseph Chang claims that the pan-democrats and pro-independence forces have been infiltrated by the central government and every person in Hong Kong can see that. Interesting, this sounds similar to the claims that the anti-government protests have been organised and funded by overseas forces. Could Joseph Chang name some concrete evidence to back up his claims and if there might be some national security concerns by China to conduct such operations? That comes uh, from Martin. Uh, David, David, oh, sorry, this is Jay, says, uh, uh, did we not hear about a car owned by China liaison that had weapons in the boot? Or has this died a death? Was this puppets interesting? I don't there was a picture on social media. Whether it was a genuine picture, I'm not sure. OK. Uh, and uh, Andrew F, uh, with the subject line slander, wait, wait till you jump in, uh, Andrew F says, I hear rumours that Joseph Cheng is on the payroll of the NED and working closely with them in directing the so-called local protest movement. I want to stress I'm not the one actually saying this and it needs to be further investigated, but that's what I'm hearing. There you go, Joseph. That's exactly the same thing you do to the Hong Kong police every single time you come on back chat. How do you feel about it when I do it to you? I guess you could sue me for slander now, just as the Hong Kong police could sue you. But of course, all the judges are currently hiking Sunset Peak. I look forward to the selfies. 
Thank you very much indeed for that, uh, Danny. Many thanks to you and thanks to uh, uh, producer Angie Mann this morning. We'll be back at 8.30 on Monday, leaving you with the weather. Uh, mainly cloudy with occasional showers, a few squally thunderstorms around this morning and the thunderstorm warning is now uh, in effect and will remain so until at least 10.15 this morning. The shower's going to ease off gradually this afternoon. And the outlook, occasional rain in the next couple of days. The weather will become cold appreciably on Sunday and remain cold early to the middle of next week. 20 degrees now and relative humidity is at 98%. To prevent the spread of disease, make sure all drainage traps contain water. Pour half a litre of water into each drain outlet every week. Check sinks, baths, toilets and floor drain outlets regularly. If drainage pipes are leaking or blocked, or drain outlets emit a foul smell, arrange prompt inspection and repair by a qualified person. Don't alter drains and pipes on your own. Visit chp.gov.hk for details. One thirty-two. the news now with Pierre Tremblay. The MTR has opened part of the new Shatin link with a special train leaving Kaitak for Wukaisha at a quarter to six this morning. For the time being, the new line, known as Phase 1 of the new Tunma line, will run between Kaitak, Diamond Hill, Hinkeng and Taiwai, where it joins the existing Maon Shan line. The rail operator says this new extended section of the Maon Shan line will make it more convenient for passengers to travel between Kowloon East and Northeast New Territories. Hubei's Health Commission has reported 116 new deaths in the province from the new coronavirus, bringing the death toll to 1,483. It also reported 4,823 new cases, the majority of which were clinically diagnosed instead of being based solely on a test result. This new broader criteria, which was welcomed by the medical profession, led to a sharp rise in case numbers yesterday, with the province reporting over 14,800 cases and 242 deaths. And the U.S. government has filed fresh charges against the the Chinese tech giant Huawei and its chief financial officer, Meng Wanzhou, who is fighting extradition from Canada. The new charges include plotting to break the law on corruption and racketeering and to steal trade secrets from technology companies. Huawei has consistently denied any wrongdoing. Next news at 10. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. 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 How are you? Not too bad at all. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me? Good morning. He's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Room. Welcome to Friday and a very good wet morning to you. Well, I was looking forward to a chat with our chef Matt Dolan in San Fran today, but literally a couple of minutes ago, he has a tricky uh, personnel problem to deal with. So he will be back with us soon. I'll tell you what I'm going to do, though. At 10.10 instead, we're going to get the official word on the 2020 Hong Kong Sevens from Robbie McRobbie, our Monday morning rugby guru. I mean, the cat's out of the bag, but we'll have a chat with Robbie and see what's what. After 11, going to talk flowers. We get into the Valentine's Day thing with Hong Kong's undisputed top floor designer, Dr. Solomon Leong, live, hopefully, from his workshop. We're going to go Skyping it on Facebook Live, so join us there if you can. Here's a technical maestro at this art, so if you have any questions about floral design, you know where to be. 12 plus, we're off to the movies with James Marsh, Fantasy Island, The Turning, 